Um, all right, we'll open up to uh, Isaiah 46, and if you need a Bible, these folks will give you one, Isaiah 46. Actually, do Isaiah 45, because I'm just going to read, but I'm not going to teach it, because we studied it last week, but it ties into 46, which we're, we're going to cover. We're going through the book of Isaiah, and as always, I always have a long introduction, but one that will not be long, because everyone else was today. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, but Micah, man, you were chatty today. That's, that's really rare for you, but you had a lot of really cool stuff to share. So I have no complaints. Um, I wanted to share with you what uh, transpired this week. Um, just got back, uh, one o'clock this morning from Mammoth. I went and did a wedding there. Um, and all the smoke and everything was crazy, but it was beautiful. I'd never been to the Eastern Sierras and that, that far before. And it was stunning. Um, if none of you have ever visited there, you need to go. Uh, when I uh, then tomorrow morning I leave for Dallas to go speak at an event called the Upper Room Gathering. Uh, interesting, uh, a man Bob Laughlin who was up in Santa Barbara. Um, Pastor Brett knows him. He's a PhD from Occidental or something. Smart guy. Um, I got connected with him during the assembly run. They connected me with a number of folks up in Santa Barbara. He was really moved by what we were doing here, and uh, he wanted to introduce me to another PhD, uh, Dr. Mary Poplin. So she's a professor at Claremont University, and Bob drove down from Santa Barbara. Mary drove up from Claremont, and they attended a service on a Sunday. He said, she's the C.S. Lewis of our time. She's a, a Ph.D. that had come to Christ while uh, a tenured professor at Claremont. And uh, she had written a book, and I read it cover to cover, and it's, it's on four worldviews. It's a fascinating book. And he said, can you go to lunch after the service? I said, sure. So we went to lunch. Michelle was actually out of town. So it was Bob and his wife, Mary, and myself, and, uh, and this woman is fascinating. Uh, that's, that's the best word to describe her. Uh, and then she says to me, um, uh, what has occurred in my life, this coming to Christ while a PhD in a very secular, a progressive, or secular progressive culture, uh, my desire was to see the secondary school systems or the, the universities in America return to a, a, a Christian worldview in some respects because most of them were established in that regard. I said, well, that's a tough, that's a tough order right there. And she said, but this is my cultural mountain of influence I've been called to. And that, that resonated with me because, you know, I've been called to this world of politics. She's been called to the world of education. Uh, I'm watching Steve Yates called to the world of business. And I love that when Christians step into these cultural mountains of influence. I said, how do you do that? And she says, we have an organization called the Upper Room Gathering where we gather PhDs who have a similar uh, uh, experience as my own where they've come to Christ. They're tenured professors at Ivy League schools, uh, major universities around the United States and the world. We gather in Dallas, Texas for a convention where we encourage them uh, and how to operate within the context of academia as Christians and to move that needle. And I was blown away. And she said, um, we want you to be a keynote speaker. And I said, oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I'm excited. And she says, now, where did you get your PhD? I said, I, 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 I don't have one. And she said, that's all right. Where did you get your master's? I, 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 I don't have one of those either. However, I do have a phenomenal uh, degree in history from a very fine uh, institution, uh, the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley, Fresno State. (laughs) 
<laughs> but she was so gracious, and she said, no, we really want you to come out. So I'll be speaking Tuesday night and then Wednesday morning. Uh, and I'm flying out tomorrow, and, and the event starts. Well, I called uh, the gentleman and his wife who uh, were instrumental in the purchase of the building, the Wilkes. I said, I'm going to be in Dallas. It's, you know, Cisco, where they live, is two hours west. And they said, well, come and stay with us. And, uh, and I said, all right, so I'm going to go out there on Monday, and then I'll be with uh, the Upper Room Gathering Tuesday and Wednesday. Come back Thursday, or come back Wednesday night, and then Thursday leave for Maine, where I'll be speaking there. So I am going to miss... Uh, next Sunday. However, Pastor Brett will be teaching his final sermon here. So please come on out. We're going to pick up at verse 22 of Isaiah 45. And remember, this is uh, prophetic towards Cyrus, who's yet to be on the scene. We covered that. I'll, I'll go through it again. And God's going to speak to them about idols because the nation of Israel had turned from God. The reason why he's saying in a hundred years, you're going to be put into exile in Babylon. And in almost 200 years, Cyrus is going to come and deliver you. Uh, they're, they're not even seeing the future, but it's all based on the simple fact that they walk away from God and they embrace idols. And he's going to address that. Picking up verse 22, God says, look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. I've sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and I shall not return that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. To him, men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Now chapter 46. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh the silver on the scales. They hire goldsmiths and make it and makes it a God. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulders. They carry it and set it in its place and it stands from its place. It shall not be moved. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure Calling a bird of prey from the east, he's speaking of Cyrus again, he called him from the east. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off, my salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel is my glory. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture that brings us comfort. We have two choices. Either we carry a false God or the living God carries us. And I pray this day we would come to know that deeply 
and we would embrace it. And so please, Lord, minister to us now through the riches of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat. I, um, I wanted to begin in Isaiah uh, 45. This is the picture that we saw of Cyrus. Um, in Daniel, when Daniel, uh, in, in Daniel 5... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is falling. Now, Babylon doesn't even exist now in the writing of Isaiah 45. That's still 100 years out. So it'd be like giving a prophecy of something that's going to happen in uh, uh, 2118. Or 2118, yeah. 2118. That's what I went with. 2118. A hundred years from now, uh, a prophecy goes forward about somebody taking over something else. And it doesn't even resonate with the people who are reading this. Babylon's going to conquer Jerusalem. Where's, who's Babylon? Um, it, you know, and, then, and then Cyrus from the Medo-Persian Empire. Medo-Persian doesn't even exist. And that's another 170 years before Cyrus even comes on the scene. And, and, in, I, and, and in Daniel 5, all this has transpired. Daniel is one of the young kids when the fall of Jerusalem came and the Babylonians sent them into exile. As a young boy, he was castrated, put into the king's court. Uh, they changed his name. They used uh, Nebo as one of the names, and they used Bel as another name. His name was Belshazzar, and then Nebo, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which is, comes from Nebo. Uh, they changed their names from their Jewish names to these these uh, Babylonian names, and and Daniel survives through multiple kings in the Babylonian Empire, and now the Medo Persians come in, and we studied that how they they changed the Euphrates River uh, and, and changed its direction. The water level dropped. They went under the iron gates that were left unlocked, conquered Babylon as they were all partying, and the finger on the wall said, Mine, 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 teki farsen. You've been weighed in the balance, been found wanting. And that night, the king of Babylon died. Cyrus came in, and, uh, and as Josephus says, Daniel walked out as an elderly man. Uh, and he and he took this ancient 100-year-old scroll, actually probably 200 years old, and he unraveled it with his arthritic fingers, and he showed Cyrus. He says, there's your name. And it was, it was prophesied 200 years before that. Cyrus sees it. He's so blown away that he sends the Jews back to Jerusalem. And, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, in Israel right now, they have a coin where it has Cyrus... And it also has Trump on it because the Jews see it as they allowed, you know, as they they made Jerusalem the capital and they moved the embassy there. The the Jews are celebrating him as a Cyrus kind of figure. Just thought I'd throw that out there for those of you like it or don't like it. And, And here God delivers the Jewish people by a man named Cyrus who's a pagan. And it talks about a bird of prey from the east. I mean, God will pick anyone he wants. And that's why we took a look at Samson. Here's a man that there's nothing moral about Samson's life, yet he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Rahab, nothing moral about her life, yet she's in the hall of faith. She's in the hall of faith for lying. <laughs> Some of you go, no, that's not, that's not scriptural. Yes, it is. I'll contend with you. Let's, let's go. Come on. <laughs> and this, and, 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 Here's the other one. He goes to pay a, Samson goes to pay a gambling debt and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He spends a night in a prostitute's bed and in the morning the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Not once, but twice. Why would God do that? And the secret is found in Judges 14.4. What Samson's parents didn't realize, uh, Manoah, what Samson's parents didn't realize is God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. 
You see, Samson was willing to do what God's people weren't. Confront the culture. Confront the culture. Step into the arena. Do what's right. The reason why we don't contend and the reason why we don't step in is because we're busy carrying our idols from place to place. All the things that we spend our time and our treasures and our talents on. And we want to protect them and polish them and keep them safe. And we, we don't want to contend in the arena because it could threaten our idols. And we carry them. I mean, every time I, I moving, I realize how many idols I have. It's exhausting. And I'm not even the one moving. I usually, because my bad back, I usually have to burden everybody else to move my idols. <laughs> and then you, you move them and then you polish them and dust them and they get dusty and they don't clean themselves. And then when all hell breaks loose and life is tough and, and a child is sick or, or something is happening, you, you, you turn to them and you say, help me. And the car in the driveway goes, right? These inanimate objects do nothing. And don't think you don't have a Nebo in, in, in your life. You do. Everybody does. You spend your time, treasures, and talents polishing them, keeping them clean. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about cars. I'm talking about whatever you spend your time, treasures, and talents on, that when you have a need, they're not there to help. And you put the burden on the beasts. And he's speaking of donkeys. I, I look at some of the guys on staff that have moved us twice, maybe three times, and I see them. And the next day, they're just, they're, they're hurting. And these beasts of burden are just brutalized. And, and this is the picture that God is sharing. He's saying the reason why you're being sent into exile, the reason why all this is going to happen, and you don't foresee it because it's 100 years down the road and you've given up on it, is because you've spent your life ingratiated to things and not the living God. And you're going to be affected by that. You know, we, we look at the immigration issue in America. Republicans don't want to fix immigration because we want cheap labor. Democrats don't want to fix immigration because they want a larger voting base. And nobody does anything because it's all about them. We don't care about the fact of enticement. I would get sued. We have a, we have a hot tub in our house when we bought it. I don't even use it, but it's back there. You got to lock the gate because if you don't lock the gate and the neighborhood child goes in and you didn't put the cover on and they drown in it, you're liable because you entice them into your pool. And we have, we have 10,000 people raped or maimed coming up from, from South America and Central America because we're enticing them. We don't put a lock on the gate. And we do it for whatever reason, whatever your political ideology is, because you want something cheaper. Forget about the fact we're creating the image of God and that we're supposed to be concerned about people's welfare. And we, we make a compact as a nation that you're welcome in, but we agree to these standard of laws because this is what God intends. You don't steal, you don't lie. If you want to come in, you're welcome, but you have to agree to these terms. This is a constitutional republic. We the people. You're, you're, you're fleeing a nation that is, that is full of despots. Don't bring the same trash here. Realize why you're coming here, what made this nation what it is, and agree to it. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union. And then we also see we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. Not in capacity, but in dignity. 
And so when we start to understand this as a people and educate those who want to be a part of it, even immigration in the scriptures, the sojourner, the stranger, and I've heard the the scriptures quoted by a number of uh, clergy in our city that sat in the meeting when we were contending with SB 54, and they're trying to tell me these sojourners we're supposed to take in, folks. The word in the Hebrew, when you do your homework, means somebody who is entering into your country, abiding by the laws, but don't want to be proselytized into what you believe, but they're still going to honor the laws. Those that want to be proselytize and and assimilate every word in the Hebrew is towards assimilation that you become part of our community by assimilating to the things that we hold dear. That's scripture. That's God's way. You want to see what the Bible says on immigration? Read the book of Ruth, read it. It's very clear on what God intends, but we don't know God's word. And so we look at immigration for cheap labor or voting base so that our idols that we carry from place to place could be polished. We lay burdens on the backs of people. Well, the Lord says, I want to tell you about these idols. They're dead. They're dead idols. And he says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. We're so moved by what we own, our baubles and our trinkets, Our life becomes a a thing of things. We're materialists. It doesn't mean that working isn't good and and gaining wealth isn't good. God blesses those who work hard. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. I'm I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking that they end up becoming your gods. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil. The love of it is the root of all kinds of evil. Because you start to love that more than you love God. You go after the wealth instead of going towards the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own desire. In all these ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things over here, they'll be added unto you. Don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll have that stuff. Just make him priority. We make loving money a priority. We make loving things a priority. And, and this is what he says. It becomes carriages that are heavily loaded and a burden to the weary beast. And, and, and this is my life. And I remember moving. Uh, we, we, we moved from the house we'd been in for 16 years to a rental, and then from the rental to the house that we just purchased near the new church. That's, that's big moves. And, and we had to move into storage and then move into the house and then move into the storage. And then move. So it was a lot of moves. And bad back surgery, and you don't need to know the story, but bless their hearts, Brett, and he put together some horses. And this is what they looked like on moving day. It was just tragic. <laughs> Isaiah declared that every knee would bow and Jesus would go on later to say that but every tongue confess in a sense that that God is the Lord and and here is a picture in a sense uh, of the gods of the great Babylon to come stooping low in humiliation and how silly they look that these living creatures are burdened by these inanimate objects that just weigh the world down. These idols are on these beasts and the cattle and the carriages are so heavily laden that they're, 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 they're tipping like this. I mean, if that's not a picture of our lives, of how we burden people with things and they become more important to us. My, my parents, bless their heart, my, my mom and dad moved every two years, military family. My mom was meticulous in the move, and the Navy, and the Navy was good about moving people. 
And, and she had these prized possessions that she'd move from place to place. And one was a Napoleon cabinet that when my parents died, I got it. Literally, this thing, 1780 something. We had it a year and my son Michael broke a piece of the glass. I'm like, <laughs> why'd you give it to us? Honestly, though, you guys are probably going to be upset with me because you're an antique dealers. <laughs> it was so refreshing to realize, meh, not a big deal anymore. Just, and, and the older it gets, the more of a burden it is. The more people you need to move it. And oh, oh, care. Oh, 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 oh. And you're just moving something that's older and junkier. And, and, and then you give it to your children. Here's your white elephant. And the kids grow up going, don't touch that. You're going to get that someday. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and then the kids get it and they bring it into their living room. That's to remember mom and dad, your great grandmother. I'll tell you the one thing I really enjoy that, that was given to my, my great grandmother had a scale on my dad's side. My dad would say, you see this mark right here? This is where her thumb would pull it off the counter before she'd weigh everything. And then she'd put it back up and there's the thumb. It's all, and it's, it's a scale. I can carry that. But when everybody has something of value and the house is filled with knickknacks, it's a little annoying. That's kind of cool because it still works. It's practical. You know what would be neat? If you left your kid's character instead of things. Show them how to walk with God. Show them how to tell the truth. Show them how to honor a commitment. Show them what a faithful marriage looks like. If money could make good kids... (laughs) There would be no tabloids in the supermarket. He got it. This was Daniel's name. It's actually my son's name. God is my judge. What a wonderful name. And he was a young boy in Israel. His parents said, Daniel, God is my judge. He's like, wow. Then he's, he's taken into exile into Babylon. He's put in the king's court, castrated as a eunuch, and they give him this pagan name. And this is where you, you get uh, Bel and Nebo, Belteshazzar. May Bel protect his life. So you had Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he was another friend of Daniel's. They were young boys. They'd lost their parents. They'd all been killed, dragged away to Babylon. His name in in in, in in Hebrew meant Yahweh has been gracious or God has been gracious. And then they changed his name to Shadrach, the command of Aku, Mishael, who is what God is. And they changed his name to Meshach, who is what Aku is. They're mocking the living God by, by taking these children who have been raised in this understanding of a living God and they're putting onto them idols names. And, and Azariah, God has helped and they changed him to Abednego. And that's where you get this word Nebo, servant of Nebo. This is what's going to happen. God is saying this in Isaiah 45 and 46. In 100 years, this is what's going to happen to your kids. You walk away from God. You're stubborn and you start loading them down with things instead of character. They're going to be taken away. And everything that they were given of, of a cultural godly heritage will be wiped out by somebody else who's going to move the mountains of cultural influence. Because instead of stepping into the arena, you wanted to polish your dead gods. And this is what happens to your kids. 
and the state will raise them. Neither of these four boys could name who their parents were. They were gone. And now they were working for the king. And, and, and looking at Bel and Nebo, these are, this is what they carted around. This is what they worshiped. This is who they were named after. They they could have made a better statue. I think it's just, it's just awful. And you got to cart that thing around everywhere and you have to put it on something. And, and, and you look at this. And all of them have to be clean. All of them have to take care of them. And then you give them to your kids. And they're like, why? What do I do with this? Sell it. I'm going to go on vacation. You're like, you don't understand how valuable this is. No, I do. I have a Napoleon cabinet. I broke the window. <laughs> and God says, even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear you. Even I will carry you and will deliver you. You know, I've come to realize that we carry the idols and they're exhausting. Aren't you tired yet? Is that what you're going to give to your kids? Do they get to carry those two? And ultimately they'll be carried off to Babylon? You've been worshiping at the altar of dead gods. And you're not in the arena fighting for the living God and fighting with the living God. And I I thought about this as I looked at these passages and it just occurred to me, a God you carry or a God who carries you? I mean, that hit me. Brett loves it. You don't, but I I loved it. (laughs) A God you carry or a God who carries you? I mean, folks, this life is exhausting. I mean, it's a really... This, this is a really exhausting life. And, and having moved and done these things and seen all of the dead gods that have to be carted and the burden on those beasts and the burden that my parents levied on me, I, my parents are gone. When my, when my mother-in-law calls, and, and that woman can talk, trust me, and, and, and I see her name. And it's ringing through. And I'm busy. And I know Michelle is too. And I answer the call. And she talks. A lot. <laughs> but you know why I answer it? Because I wish it was my mom calling but it's not going to ring through anymore. And I think of all the times I never picked up the phone. My boys say that to me and so do my daughters. But my boys more now at the age they are, Dad, can we just hang out together? You know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E. But we're too busy polishing our dead gods and spending time with the living one. And he wants us to impart to our children. But we're too busy trying to make money to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know, in a sense, with money we don't have. And ultimately, we're sacrificing our kids on the altar of Baal, Nebo, Bel. And God is saying, contend for them. Contend for their culture. 
Don't give them things. Give them me. Impart to them who I am. Raise a child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart thereof. Live your life in such a way that they can see the living God in the way in which you trust him, in the way in which you, you, you do business, in the way in which you live. Don't let them see you bowing down and, and carting these, these dead idols from place to place. A God who carries you. He carries us. In your weakness, my strength is perfected. Come unto me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He bore our burdens on the cross. He carried them. You want to talk about propitiation? He took all of your sin, all of your idol worship, all of your false gods that left you dead. The Bible says you become like that which you worship. You worship money, you become heartless. Money can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy sex, but not love. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. And we're all tired. And God says, come. You're weary. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will carry your sins upon me. He's a God that took all of your idol worship, all of your false gods, all of your sin, all of your burden, all of your exhaustion, and he put it on himself. And in exchange, he gave you life. He put his righteousness on you. Propitiation. 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 We nailed him to that cross. And in our exhaustion of trying to deny him, he holds us up. When they spit on him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They mocked and ridiculed him. And yet he loved them. Loved them meaning us. Me, you. He loved us this much. He took our place. And now, when we move away from carrying dead gods, the living God now carries us. And this is a picture of what God intends to do in our life. He carries us. He says in the conclusion of the passage, he says, Here it is. I will bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion. For Israel is my glory. The word Israel means one governed by God. My salvation shall not linger. The scripture says today is a day of salvation. Salvation is near. All that simply means is we're creating the image of God. We're either serving him or we aren't. And as we've been serving false gods and idols that we have been carting from place to place, thinking our lives successful and seeing the burdens that we've levied on our children and the culture in which we've imploded because we are more concerned with things than we are with the living God. He says, don't fall in love with money. Fall in love with me and you'll have those things. But don't love the things, love me. The things I give you is so that you can further love me and declare me. But we've become enamored with the things. The gifts, not the giver of the gifts. And God says, I want to deliver you from that. You're burdened and heavy laden. You've been carrying these dead gods. The living God wants to carry you. I want to take all of your sin and take it off your shoulders and put it on my son.
I want to set you free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'll reestablish my relationship with you. You know, we know this as children and also as parents. Somewhere along the line, we lost contact with our mom or our dad or we lost contact with our kids because we were too busy polishing our idols. God says we can fix that today. The first relationship we're going to fix is between you and me, God says. I'm going to carry you. And then I'll teach you how to minister to your family. But if you don't want this, then exile awaits you. Not by my choosing, but yours. And your children's names will be changed. And they'll no longer be governed by me. But we can change that today. Let's fix our relationship together. Move away from your dead gods to the living one. Let me carry your burdens. And let me set you free to minister to your family. And that's the gift of propitiation.